Hi guys, welcome to the Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. This is episode 6. Today we're going to be talking about progressive overload and how to use the parameters within that system in order to achieve peak performance for our athletes. Um, so I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and this is... <laughs> and I'm Lex. And so when we talk about progressive overload, typically we see this in the strength and conditioning or sports training type field. And what progressive overload means in a nutshell, is can you achieve a training stimulus that is sufficient to impose adaptations at either the neural level or the muscular level? Traditionally, this was talked about the muscular level, and as it pertains to muscular hypertrophy and cell growth, which is, I think, still valid, as the literature indicates, but also neural adaptations. And so we'll get into that in a bit here. Uh, so one of the things that we see with progressive overload is that consistency is key, right? So let's take a step back here. What are some parameters, Lex, that we can change in order to achieve progressive overload? So some of the things that we can change when we're training are the intensity, the volume, the speed, the range of motion, the stability, and the cadence. So we'll just kind of go through those really quick. So intensity is uh, typically referring to the external loading or the weight that you're moving. So this would be the you know, physical pounds that you're squatting or bench pressing or whatever you're doing with it. Volume can refer to several things. So number of reps in a set or number of sets or the duration of the exercise, workout, whatever you want to call this, training session. Or it could be the period of time that you're doing this same regiment for whatever it is volume refers to as you guessed it the volume of training you're doing um, whether we're talking about per set or in any of those other parameters we just discussed speed is another parameter so speed we often refer to are we doing endurance are we doing strength or are we doing power training typically there's some kind of sliding scale in between all those factors depending on how you are, are working the exercise at hand. So, you know, a squat with tons of external load on there, we're typically looking at strengthening, right? Whereas if you do that same squat with little or no external load and jump up onto a box doing box jumps, well, that's a lot of speed, a little bit less load, but now we're moving towards the power end of the spectrum. And if you do a little bit less load than you would have for the strength training and you do lots and lots of volume or lots of reps, now we're talking about endurance. So, I'm kind of bleeding over into a different topic there <laughs> as as we're talking about going from endurance to power to strength training and the different nuances there, which we may cover at a later date. But another parameter we can talk about progressing or regressing is range of motion. So sometimes we can talk about this in the depth of the rep, i.e. if you're squatting using a you know 24-inch box to do box squats with and stop you at that depth and then progressing to maybe a 20 inch box and then maybe a 16 inch box and then eventually no box, right? So that's another one we can talk about. Um, for our, all the bros out there, when you do seated curls, you might've noticed if you have a little bit of recline or you're not sitting completely up straight, you're kind of leaned back a little bit. If you let your arms go completely straight, you're actually, what you're really doing there is you're lengthening the bicep at the elbow and the shoulder and you're getting more range of motion out of that muscle itself. And you might notice the pump and a little bit more swollness 
gains, looking good is important. <laughs> so another uh, parameter there is stability. So this one's kind of complicated, but anytime we go from standing on two legs for lower body exercise to going to one leg, that's going to obviously be decreased stability or more of a challenge for us to remain upright. We also see this with the use of things like Airx or the foam pads, BOSU balls, the uh, physio plyo ball, however you want to call that, the big round air-filled balls. Dynadisc. Yeah, dynadiscs. And uh, another way we can create stability or, or a, a stability demand or instability through an exercise is to add an external load that creates that. And that can be adding something that pulls in a non-traditional vector or, or direction. So if you're familiar with a Palov press or kind of some people call them wood chops, we can add that to per se a lunge, right? So a lunge is a vertical movement. And a Palov press is usually some kind of a rotational or horizontal plane movement. And so that can kind of throw us off a little bit and create some instability for that lunge exercise, for instance. Another way we can do this is to do unilateral loading. So this would be doing suitcase squats, for instance, where you're holding a dumbbell or a kettlebell on one side, or doing any kind of exercise pattern where the weight is being held on one side, whether that's at your side, in front of you, front rack, overhead, whatever that might be. If we have that weight only on one side or unilaterally, then it's going to create a stability demand across the frontal plane mostly or left right, and also the horizontal plane or, or rotationally. And so that creates a stability demand there and makes the exercise a little bit more difficult. And lastly, but maybe this is not an all inclusive list, but we're kind of droning on here, is cadence. And some people also call this tempo. So if you are doing a rep, you can just go at whatever speed you can move that weight, or you can hone in a little bit and go for, let's say, okay, I'm going to do a three-second eccentric or negative lowering of this weight, and then I'm going to come back up on the concentric or the lifting, usually anti-gravity portion of the rep, over the period of one second, or you have a three-to-one tempo there. And that can make it a lot more difficult if you were doing like a one-to-one -one and you're just ripping out reps, you know, second down, second up, and now you're spending three seconds to lower that weight and really control it and then come back up over one second a little quicker. I think that one's the best one to talk about too because having that cadence is something that we don't mess with enough, I think, in typical training because anybody can do something fast, but when you slow it down, that's when you really start to see the deficits and you really start to see what you can't do. So anytime you can slow a movement down and really dissect what you're doing, it's always good. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So, yeah, I mean, especially if you're doing a wad for time or trying to get, you know, max reps of whatever in a given amount of time, those constraints right there almost predispose us to going for performance over quality or quantity over quality. Uh, and so if you slow those reps down, you might actually be getting more out of it and be more able or better able to tell when the form or the goal of the exercise is not being achieved and that's fine too so don't don't get me wrong when i talk about you know the wad calls for whatever time constraint and so we're just going for time and we're trying to achieve reps for time or whatever it might be i'm not ne negatively speaking about that i think that's great and that's one of the best things about crossfit we just have to understand what is the desired training stimulus there 
So, and that's, and that's the reason why in CrossFit, right? Perfect example. When you're doing that wad where there's a time constraint and there's a goal of achieving more reps in that type, typically, there is usually, I've never really seen an exception to this. There is usually a substantial lightening of the load, right? So that intensity or that external loading. So for instance, if you're doing grace, for example, which for those of you who don't know, Grace is a CrossFit wad. Uh, it's a benchmark wad, and it's 30 clean and jerks for time. The RX or kind of standard weight for men is 135 pounds, and for women is 95 pounds, which is actually a decent load. That's um, a lot. However, you're doing 30 reps in a given time quick. So as fast as you can, actually, is the, is the standard rate. So when we think about that, most men who are who would consider themselves well trained, right? Not novice, but maybe intermediate or advanced are at the level where a clean and jerk for them, their max is probably well over that 135. In fact, I would suffice it to say that 135 is within the 40 to 60% of their one rep max. Meaning this is about 40 to 60% of the maximal weight that they could throw over their head and, and do a clean and jerk for, right? So what CrossFit has done successfully there is identify what is the training stimulus we're looking for here. So it is me a measurement somewhat of strength and somewhat of endurance because we're using that kind of probably 40 to 60% of most intermediate to advanced athletes' abilities in this case. And they're looking at also power and there's a lot of metabolic demand there's a couple other things we can look at with that but what they've done is appropriately scale it so that it makes sense for achieving the stimulus or the desired stimulus that they programmed it for okay so with that we can also look at it and say if for instance my my one rep max or the most weight i could move for a clean and jerk exercise for instance was 150 pounds well, then 135 pounds becomes something like, I don't know the math on that one off the top of my head, but, you know, 80 or 90% of my one rep max. So that's quite a bit of weight, right? So for me to move that 30 times in a given amount of time it is very unlikely. And if I could do it, it probably is going to take me, you know, somewhere on the order of 10 to 15 minutes just doing a rep, rest for a little bit, a rep, rest for a little bit, right, until I achieve 30 reps, the desired training stimulus of grace is to be done in, I think, a couple minutes, maybe three at the most. So what would make sense for most athletes then, if that was your case, is to scale it. And that's why I love CrossFit is because you can scale all of the workouts, right? And, and probably should. So for me, that training stimulus or that benchmark that I'm looking at I probably should scale from 135 down to something more feasible in that, again, 40 to 60% of my one rep max. And the real metric there, right, is a couple of things. So number one, am I achieving what the desired stimulus of this exercise or workout is, right? So if it's meant to be a conditioning workout, am I achieving a cardiovascular conditioning effect? If it's meant to be a strength training workout, am I achieving that, right, number one? Number two, on the individual exercise itself, am I achieving quote unquote good form and the desired stimulus of the exercise itself? So for, for instance, a strict overhead press, right? 
it's an overhead pushing movement where we're trying to strength train several, if you want to call it muscle groups or myofascial trains or however you want to call that, there are certain areas we're trying to get a little stronger with that. There are also certain key points that we're trying to maintain, right? So we're looking for shoulder movement or flexion or motion elevation, however you want to call that, more so than our trunk extending, right, to compensate for that. We're looking for our wrists to be mostly neutral, right? So you might have seen some people when they're doing that overhead pressing type shape motion where their wrists are completely extended back because their shoulders and whatever other compensatory mechanisms they have aren't 100% doing it for them. So where are we going with this, right? When we have patients or clients and we're doing either performance training or we're doing a rehab process, we're looking at all of these different parameters that we just talked about. We're looking at when you are doing your exercises during your workouts or whatever your lifestyle is, are you maintaining the certain standards that we ought to be maintaining both from a performance standpoint and from an injury mitigation standpoint, right? So why don't you go back to that, the shoulder example. So the overhead press. So when you look at the overhead press, Kyle just talked about that typical compensatory mechanism of extending the back. So why are you extending the back? There's plenty of reasons why you would extend, decrease shoulder range of motion, decrease core stability, you know, whatever it may be, you're doing it for a reason. So let's just think about, let's just call it one exercise, a clean and jerk 30 times in a row or one, one wad grace. And this is just one, one wad. So you're doing a clean and jerk 30 times in a row quickly without having proper form. So you're creating forces through joints that aren't necessarily good. And, you know, does that lead to injury? No, that doesn't necessarily lead to an injury. However, it's going to put you in a less than optimal position with heavy load multiple times quickly with a lot of force. So it's really important to take that and just kind of dial it back and figure out what you can handle. Because if you can't handle that weight, let's just call it 75 pounds, and you can handle 65 with a good good position of your back and wrists, perfect, great, let's start at 65 pounds. But you shouldn't be doing something that you're having poor form with, especially when you're moving quickly. Right, so that's one way that we can perhaps, if you're having pain, not have pain and still do the thing, right? Not just give you the standby, oh, don't do it if it hurts. That's another way that we can look at performance. And you might have heard somebody say at some point in time, if you had, I think we had said this on one of the previous episodes, if you had just scaled a year ago appropriately, you would be so much further along the road where you are now than if you had been like me probably and tried the RX or RX plus and just push it and push through and blown through stuff. Right. Any like that's what we just said. Like anybody can do it fast. And if you slow it down and you do it with proper form, you're likely going to be able to handle less load at first. Right. And then over time, you'll be a lot further off, better right. off. Right. Exactly. So that's one of the things that we offer our clients or patients is how can we change or play with some of these parameters, whether it's the external load, which is kind of what we've been talking about a lot, right? Or the volume or the speed at which you're doing something or the range of motion. Again, going back to our clean and jerk example there, perhaps your problem was for the clean portion and we need to use blocks and not go from the floor to decrease the range of motion, right? Relatively that you would be doing if you were doing it from the floor. And that works out for us to achieve whatever stimulus we're looking at or whatever 
point we're trying to maybe correct or improve, right? We can maybe train with lower levels of intensity and use some kind of a, a stability challenge in order to improve your performance when you're doing it without the stability challenge during a wad or something. And something with a stability challenge that's really important is single leg exercises. So not often enough are we doing single leg exercises and single leg stability demand will improve your double leg lifts. So you have to think that your legs have to work good alone before they can work well together. So just picture a scenario where your right leg is, let's call it weaker than your left leg. So when you perform a squat, your left leg is likely taking more of the load than your right leg. Over time, you can probably imagine that that would cause some issues. Maybe some pain on the left side, maybe some pain on the right side because you're not exposing it to enough load. Um, So it's one of those things where you really need to tease out what's going on and are you having the same quality of movement and force generation on both sides. And we're not expecting anybody to be equivalent. You do have side-to-side differences, but if your right leg can only tolerate 10 pounds of force or exert 10 pounds of force, and your left leg can exert 50 pounds of force, that's a huge difference. That's something that we need to, to really look at. Yeah, and it, again, plays back into performance. So Lex was talking about maybe some compensatory overuse and patterns where we're using less than ideal balance between one side and the other if we don't have that single leg stability and balance right but it also plays into performance because if i can let's say my right leg theoretically could accept 150 pounds of force when i'm in a squatting shape or pattern and my left leg could only accept 100 pounds well we talked about safety in a previous podcast here and the brain wants to feel safe and it only is going to allow us to do what it feels safe doing right so what do you suppose it's going to let me load through both my legs? 100 and 100 or 100 plus 150, right? So it's probably going to dial it back down to the weaker link or the leg that can only accept 100 pounds. And then, you know, theoretically, if I have both legs can do that, that'd be 200 pounds instead of if they both could do 150 and were equal, that'd be 300 pounds, right? Getting a little mathematical now. But the point being, (laughs) if you have one side that's really super dominant and the other side is, is not functioning as ideally, then our brain is probably only going to feel as safe or it's only going to feel safe at all scaling back to what the less ideal performing side is capable of handling. Right, your weakest link. That's where you'll end up being. That is uh, how we look at and address and incorporate the ideas of progressive overload into improving performance and training around or training to mitigate or however you want to say this injury when we are working with somebody who is looking at performance or rehab and we are trying to either allow them to go back to whatever they want to be doing if that's a crossfit wad great if that's their work requirements even you know awesome as well but whatever it is they're trying to get back to perhaps there's a way we can scale or modify some of those parameters in order to allow us to do or allow the, the person to do what they want to be doing still and approximate those demands. And this really ties into what the value of getting assessed is because every single thing that we look at and we treat, we're tailoring to the person in front of us and to th- what's going on with them. So you might see that you know, we're on Instagram. We post collections of exercises. Just because those exercises are up there, and you have a shoulder pain or you have hip pain, that doesn't mean we're going to give you those exercises. Um, 
basically what we do is we decide and through examination what your deficit is and how we can help you achieve what you want to achieve and what exercises are going to help you best. Right. So a very gross example here would be you're evaluating or we're evaluating uh, two people, right? So one person, when they're reaching overhead, does the whole, because we were using this as an example, right? So we'll, we'll stay with this. When you're reaching overhead or doing an overhead pressing motion, both these people end up arching their backs or extending their wrists or something, right? So one of those people might have a true mobility problem and their mobility needs to be improved in some way. And so we would give specific things in order to address those deficits in mobility in order to help them get into a little bit more efficient and better shape for that overhead pressing motion. While they're still doing their wads and whatever, we might recommend that they do certain things in order to help just mitigate yeah yeah compensate compensate, right so we talk about compensations and it kind of gets like this dirty word thing (laughs) so if our body's compensating and throwing stresses and forces to areas that maybe it's less ideal to do then yes we talk about compensations are maybe not the best thing but when we use external compensations such as like notoriously lifters lifting shoes yeah yeah are an external compensation that sometimes makes sense for us to use and so compensation is not always a bad thing Oftentimes, external compensations actually make sense to do for some people for certain things, right? So perhaps we use, for instance, lifters. If if ankle mobility is a problem with your overhead reaching when you're maybe catching a, a snatch or doing like a SOTS press or something, right? Right. For the So I'm kind of getting a little off track here. But let's say that one person's problem was mobility, and so we address the mobility. The other person with the same compensations and it looks the same, you're like, well, you're going to do the same thing, right? No. That person might have a stability problem, and so we need to maybe use stability parameters in some of the things that we're recommending they do in order to improve their stability to improve that shape. And I think that one thing that we didn't say before is that both of those people are probably presenting with the same symptom, whether it's back pain, shoulder pain, you know, they might present the same way and have completely different reasons of why they're presenting that way. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. And yeah. And for the one person, maybe using stability-challenged exercises, decreased range of motion, and a slower cadence is the best for them to build stability and improve that shape. For the other person who has a mobility restriction, we're going to address that mobility with certain exercises, and in the meantime, give them an external compensatory mechanism to allow them to still get into that shape and do what they need to do, right? So two very different treatment plans for very similar looking things that shoulder pain and that limited motion or that kind of less than ideal shape overhead. And so that's kind of why we brought these topics up, right? It's important for us to consider these different parameters when we're thinking of progressive overload and performance and training, but it's also important for us as physical therapists who are trying to help performance athletes to think of those things when we're trying to help them with shoulder pain and rehabbing or when we're trying to maximize performance. So I guess bottom line is get assessed. Don't guess. <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically what we're saying over so- here. It sounds nice because we rhyme. You yeah. Know? Um. So do that. Don't don't do random exercises just to to see if they work. And you know, wait four months to get assessed. Just get assessed as soon as you can if you're having pain. Um. And just understand that all of those things are thought about during the treatment, so that we can best treat you. 
Um, I think that's it for today. Pretty much a short episode. We have some really awesome guests coming on in the next two weeks. Uh, yeah, it won't just be us droning on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not a bad thing, though. We have a lot to talk about. We just And I think that we have a lot of fun doing it. It's just really awesome when we get to bring other people on and get to, to talk with other people. Not just to present it to you guys, but to also learn ourselves. We love talking to other people. Yeah, it's refreshing to have other perspectives, I think. so. Yeah, so it's really fun. So look forward to bringing those people on in the coming weeks. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we really appreciate you.